Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Like many of those who do not fit the status quo, the warrior woman, Atrera, lived a solitary existence. A skilled and fearsome mercenary, she survived outside of the boundaries of society, always seeking out her next battle. She roamed the world in search of adventure, with only her horse and sword for company. But while Atrera wandered the earth alone, she was being watched from the heavens. Ares, the god of war, had fallen in love with the warrior maid. Atrera was the flesh and blood embodiment of everything he adored. She was brave, fierce, and possessed a military prowess that surpassed almost any man. He decided he had to have her. One day, Ares approached Atrera deep in the Acmonian wood as she practiced her archery. I swear by the gods... I hit this last target, they may as well make me one of their own. <gasps> Let's raise the bar, shall we? If you can hit your target, and keep a war god from catching your arrows, I'll kiss your feet, and call you goddess. Ares. Did you think you were alone in these woods, Atrera? You may be able to escape mortals with your wandering, but you can never hide from the gods. Give me back my arrow, Ares. You may be able to pluck them with your bare hands, but I do not advise you attempt the same with my sword. You know, Atrera, most mortals are open to engaging in civilized conversation, but I should have known you are no civilized woman. And you should already know, I love a good fight. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. 
Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're focusing on the Amazons, a mythic tribe composed entirely of female warriors, renowned for their bravery, horsemanship, and prowess in battle. The Amazons make many appearances throughout the Greco-Roman pantheon, but the vital role they play in these stories is often pushed to the background in favor of more traditional Greek heroes. In this episode, we will detail the birth of the Amazon nation and the stories of its second queen, Hippolyta. And next week, we'll explore how their fateful encounters with such heroes as Jason and Hercules launched the Amazons into a series of battles against nations of men. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. You can find all previous episodes of Mythology, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com merch for more information. From as early as the 8th century BC, descriptions of an Amazon-like tribe of warrior women have appeared in Greco-Roman epics, such as Homer's The Iliad and the Argonautica by Apollonius of Rhodes. They had been an unnamed yet mysterious force in Greek mythology for centuries. It wasn't until the 3rd or 4th century CE that they were finally christened the Amazons. The etymology of the word Amazon is a subject of debate among linguists, but scholars claim that the epic poet Trifiodoros was the first to name the warrior women. The word Amazon makes its debut in his only surviving work entitled The Taking of Ilios, describing the last days of the Trojan War. Trifiodoros takes the name from the Greek words Amazos, meaning unsuckled, alluding to the Amazon's rejection of traditional motherhood and domesticity. However, other scholars argue the name Amazon was not Greek at all, but derived from the ancient Iranian word for warrior. Both meanings embody the dichotomy of the Amazon. In Greek legend, they're simultaneously revered fighters in combat and despised women unwilling to take part in the traditional roles of their gender. It's a duality that underlies all appearances of the Amazons in Greek mythology. The Amazons fascinated the Greeks as much as they terrified them. They were proof that if raised outside the domestic seclusion of Greek culture, women had the potential to be the equals of men in every way. They could be hunters, warriors, and live freely outside of the constraints of so-called women's work. The women of ancient Greece weren't afforded this multifaceted existence. Their roles as wives, mothers, and daughters dominated their identities and left them tethered to the domain of family life. But even the household wasn't truly their own. Every Greek woman lived under the authority of a man, whether it be a husband or father. The Amazons, however, had it all. They enjoyed the freedoms of men and the joys of motherhood. And the Greeks, women and men alike, were in awe of them. 
This fascination gave birth to a wealth of stories and artwork. The likeness of a fierce and beautiful Amazon warrior could be found on vase paintings and in sculpture. Archaeologists have even found images of Amazons inside ancient Greek homes on perfume jars and jewelry boxes. But the warrior women make their most popular appearances in the hero's journeys of Greek mythology. From Theseus to Achilles, almost every great champion had to prove their valor in combat against a savage Amazon queen. But before they were the boogie women of Greek antiquity, the Amazons originated from the ranks of the gods, and their queens were demigoddesses. Demigoddesses, the female offspring of a god and a mortal, are rare in Greek mythology. Typically, they're the product of a god's seduction of a vulnerable mortal woman. Almost always, the mortal is lured by the god's charms or tricked by his clever deception. But as in many things, Atrera was an exception to the rule. As Ares and Atrera clashed their swords, Ares was surprised at the effort he had to exert in order to keep up with the woman warrior. He expected that seducing Atrera would lead to a duel, but the reality of exchanging blows with her was more glorious than he had dreamed. I have to say, I'm impressed with your prowess. You're nearly my match. I was thinking that you were nearly mine. I have a proposition. And what was that? A partnership. <laughs> and at what point in our single combat did you conceive that idea? The very first moment I saw you, your battle cry had left your lips and reverberated into the heavens. I watched as you rode into a fray without hesitation. Armor glinting, your face splattered with the blood of your enemies. You were at once terrible and beautiful. A mortal woman fiercer than any warrior and as fearless as any god. I've watched you ever since. Ares withdrew his sword, but Atrera held hers, frozen. For the first time since the war god appeared, she felt vulnerable. I've followed you as you've roamed the earth, always searching for something, but for what I never knew. Then it struck me. You've been wandering this mortal plane looking for your peers, for someone, anyone, who you can claim as your own people. It was true. Atrera had traveled the planet her entire life in search of companions, and she was always disappointed. She was alone, but she was still wary of Ares' intentions. She steeled herself and fired back. Tell me what you want, Ares. You, Atrera. Share my bed with me, and I will bestow you with an entire nation of your equals. A people who possess your ferocity and skill, and my power. You will never be lonely again. Atrera was stunned. Ares' proposition was what she had always wanted, but how did she know that he was speaking the truth? After all, the gods had a reputation of seducing mortals for fleeting trysts. 
Ares could see the hesitation in Atreira's face. He couldn't blame her for her skepticism. He had been too arrogant in his approach. Once again, he was letting his ego get in the way of his intentions. He tried again, this time speaking earnestly. I am looking for a consort, a companion to help me usher in a new kingdom of worshippers. I shall be their king, and I want you to be their queen. If you're serious about this proposition, then prove it. Show me you're worthy of sharing my bed. Atrera lifted her weapon once more and readied herself, daring Ares to do the same. If you insist. Atrera and Ares fought well into the evening, but as the sun began to set, Atrera had grown tired. She could see that the war god wouldn't surrender until he had proven his commitment to the fight. Ares had approached her challenge with absolute determination, and his tenacity made it clear to her that his proposal was genuine. For the first time, Atrera had met her match in battle. Their relentless sparring soon turned to romance, and Atrera and Ares laid together in the depths of the Acmonian wood. It was the beginning of a partnership that would last for the rest of Atrera's lifetime. Over the next few years, Atrera bore Ares three daughters, demigoddesses. They were Hippolyta, Antiope, and Penthesilea. The girls inherited Atrera's fierce spirit, and she instructed them in the art of warfare. Ares bestowed upon them his guidance in battle and weapons and armor crafted by the gods themselves. Among these gifts, he gave each daughter a golden girdle for her sword, a symbol reminding them of their godly heritage. In return, Atrera founded the first tribe of the Amazons on the island of Aretias and built many temples in Ares' honor. She amassed a tribe of women across the world who sought to live their lives outside of tradition and learn the skills of battle. Atrera became the first queen of the Amazons and her daughters, their heirs. For many years, the Amazons lived in relatively peaceful solitude on Aratias. Though they were warriors at their very core, the Amazons did not seek out bloodshed unprovoked. But they had forgotten the destructive nature of men, and it would be men that would introduce them to both the beauty and the terror of the world beyond Aratias's shores. Coming up, the arrival of a strange ship changes the course of the Amazon's isolated history. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now back to the story. Ares had kept his promise to Atrera. He had made her his consort and given her three fierce demigoddess daughters. 
In return, Atrera founded a nation of warlike women and became the first queen of the Amazons. Despite their lust for battle, the Amazons lived in relative peace and isolation from the outside world for many years. But one day, the tides began to change, bringing a mysterious ship to Aratios's shores. Jason and his troop of Argonauts had set sail for the Black Sea in search of the skin of a golden-wooled, winged ram, the Golden Fleece. They were headed to Colchis, where the fleece was said to hang from an oak tree in a grove protected by horrifying creatures. The great hero Hercules accompanied Jason on his journey. But before the Argonauts could reach their destination, they had to pass through the remote island of Aratios. Aratios was cloaked in mystery, and the Argonauts had heard tales of the savage worshippers of Ares that called it home. We're close. How can you be sure? I see nothing but open ocean. The birds. There hasn't been a single bird since we set course. It was true. Gulls had begun circling above the Argo, letting out a chorus of grating cries. A feather dropped from the sky to the ship's floor. Hercules knelt to examine it. He showed the feather to Jason. You see how it's arrow-like in shape? These are the birds of the war god, guardians of the isle. We should arrive at Aratias before dusk. There are many tales about Aratias where I come from. They say it's an island without men. Wonderful. Then perhaps they will give us a warm welcome. Ha! Huh. We'll be lucky if we make it out alive. The women of Aratias are like praying mantises, only keeping the company of men to mate and then murdering them as soon as the deed is done. Do I hear fear in the voice of the great Jason of the Argonauts? <clears throat> no, no, of course not. Good. We have greater horrors to confront on this voyage than savage women. As the Argonauts rode, the island of Aratias became clear on the horizon. It rose out of the sea almost suddenly. A green oasis surrounded by cliffs, a cloud of a thousand birds rotated above its peaks. Meanwhile, on the shores of Aratias, Hippolyta assembled her best warriors. As the eldest of Atrera and Ares' daughters, she was the first to lead the Amazons after her mother's death. She had grown to be a wise and even-keeled ruler of a wild and impetuous people. But the small vessel on the horizon presented a new obstacle for the young queen. Not one ship had drifted to Aratias during Hippolyta's reign, and she was determined to handle its arrival aptly. But as the ship grew closer and she readied her warriors, Hippolyta felt something unexpected. Excitement. Hippolyta paced the lines of the armored and tattooed women. Her archers had already aimed their bows at the coming ship, while the others stomped their spears against the earth, creating a warlike din. Hippolyta tried her best to calm her suspicious and battle-ready warriors. Steady your bows. We do not waste a single arrow until we know the purpose of this intrusion. If these strangers are enemies, you will know. Wait for my cry. 
As the Argonauts rode closer, a terrifying sight took shape in the distance. Dozens of leather-clad warriors lined the island's shores, and with each dip of the ship's oars, more appeared behind them. The Amazons waited for the Argonauts, spears glinting in the midday sun. Their archers stood rigid, bows flexed at the ready. One slight movement of their fingers would unleash a shower of arrows upon the ship of men. Oh no, the legends are true. They have us inside of their arrows. Men, ready your bows. Indeed, they could kill us all in an instant if they wished, but you may notice that we are still very much alive. Lower your bows. These warrior women seem to believe we mean them no harm. Best not give them a reason to think otherwise. Jason was reluctant, but he trusted the seasoned hero's intuition. He was a demigod, after all. When the Argonauts' ship finally beached upon the island's shore, a distant horn announced their arrival. Wary of inciting a battle, the Argonauts remained in their boat. Soon, an Amazon appeared on a white stallion, riding toward them in a storm of sand and hooves. She crouched low against the wind, clutching the horse's mane. She seemed to ride in a focused fury, and the Argonauts stood mesmerized by the sight. But they were shaken from their trance when a low rumble echoed in the distance. A hundred more warriors materialized on the horizon, silhouetted by the sun. They followed the white stallion and thundered toward the ship. The Argonauts gazed, mouths agape as the troop of warriors galloped up the beach. These women appeared to ride just as men did, but with no saddles. The Argonauts had never seen anything like it. As Hippolyta approached the Argonauts, she brought her horse to a sudden halt. The stallion reared and whinnied, kicking up a cyclone of sand in its wake. Without looking back at her trailing warriors, she held up a single hand. The women obeyed, coming to a halt behind their queen. Hippolyta eyed the invaders carefully. They had not drawn their weapons to defend themselves, and they looked weary as if they'd been traveling for weeks. One man, however, stood out among the rest. He was calm and stood tall and steady while the others looked on, alarmed. This, she decided, must be their leader. We have an army of riders and an arsenal of deadly weapons at the ready. We can handle your intrusion with diplomacy or bloodshed. The choice is yours. Forgive us. We have come to this island seeking shelter before we continue our greater journey. We mean neither you nor your people any harm. If this is true, then tell me what greater journey has led you to the far end of the Black Sea. Only foolish men step foot on Aratias. Wiser men know the consequences. Jason stepped forward to answer. Seeing the savage women were open to discussion, his anxieties gave way to curiosity. A curiosity no doubt bolstered by the warrior queen's beauty. You have heard, I'm sure, about the Golden Fleece. Our vessel is headed to Colchis, where the fleece is said to hang from an oak tree. This is the object of our voyage. Yes, I know of the Golden Fleece. 
It lies in a grove surrounded by all manner of grotesque monsters and horrifying beasts. I hear a ravenous serpent, larger than any fifty-oar ship, guards the grove. It lies coiled around the fleece, never sleeping, but always waiting for some fool to come its way. I suppose you and this pathetic troop you call an army plan to slay it and prance out unscathed with the fleece in your possession? Why, yes. <laughs> How thrilling! It seems I've underestimated your bravery. Tell me, bearded creatures, what shall we call our courageous warriors of the Golden Fleece? Jason, and the Argonauts, and Hercules. Welcome, Hercules, and Jason and the Argonauts. I am Queen Hippolyta, and this is the Isle of the Never-Conquered Amazons. Hercules and Jason were thankful for the Amazons' hospitality amidst their turbulent journey. Meanwhile, Hippolyta couldn't help but feel curious about the strange heroes who had drifted to their island. She had lived her entire life among her sisters, only hearing lore of the cruel men who resided on the greater continents. But these men did not seem cruel in nature. She was impressed by their heroism and determined to make allies of them. After all, one day she might need friends in the greater lands of men. She decided to throw them a feast to welcome their arrival. Jason and the Argonauts gladly took part in the celebration, drinking wine and tearing into roasted boar. Hippolyta noticed that Hercules sat alone. He simply watched as the festivities played out before him. Hercules, you look like Atlas, holding the burden of the world upon your shoulders. Do barley wine and boar not suit your taste? My apologies. I do not mean to give the impression that I am ungrateful for such a warm welcome to your kingdom. I'm merely preoccupied with the difficult journey ahead of us. Our men are weary, and I fear we're leading them into the jaws of beasts. I'm not yet used to being the keeper of other men's lives. Hippolyta sympathized with Hercules. She herself was a new queen, and the responsibility of leading and protecting her sisters had been greater than she ever imagined. She decided to extend a proposition to Hercules, praying she wasn't being rash. Your vigilance for their safety is a sign of a great leader in itself. But I understand your fears. Truly, I do. I'd like to offer Aratios as a resting place for you and your men. You are welcome to stay as long as you like until your men have regained their vigor. All I ask is that one day you return the favor. Hercules was struck by Hippolyta's kindness. The warrior queen had lived her entire life in isolation from men and had every reason to be suspicious about their intrusion on Aratias. But instead, she had extended her trust. It was a shame that he'd be unable to accept it. I thank you for your kind offer, queen. Truly, I am grateful. But I'm afraid that our fate calls us toward Colchis. We'll leave at dawn. I'm disappointed that we cannot help you and your men further. But please know that you are always welcome on Aratios. As long as I am queen, our shores remain open to your ships. 
The Argonauts set sail from Aratios to Colchis the next morning, but it wasn't truly goodbye. Hercules and Hippolyta would meet again years later under less than ideal circumstances. However, the coming of Hercules, Jason, and the Argonauts to Aratios had offered a window into the world of men that the Amazons least expected. Hippolyta had seen that they could be noble and good-intentioned, and she hoped to forge friendships with those who proved themselves worthy. This newfound hope in mankind gave her the courage to launch expeditions to the mainland, some to trade, others to conquer. However, while many nomadic villages embraced the Amazons' allyship, the greater city-states were less than welcoming. The kingdoms of men did not take kindly to a band of women warriors riding into their towns attempting diplomacy. They were a threat to their way of life and a dangerous example for their women. They met their arrival with open hostility, and the Amazons returned it in kind. The Amazons asserted trading routes on men's lands and fought battles against their stiff, lumbering armies. All women living in their conquered territory were offered a choice, remain in servitude of men or ride free with the Amazons. For years, the Amazonian tribe would grow in wealth and power, but the course of their nation would drastically change when Hercules himself arrived to Aratios once more. Up next, Hercules returns to the island of the Amazons, a broken and desperate man. Now back to the story. For decades, the Amazons had lived in near isolation from the likes of men. They only heard rumors of their cruelty and greed. Details of the way the bearded heathens enslaved their own women and sentenced them to lives of domesticity to serve their greed were horror stories told fireside in Amazon camps. But the appearance of Hercules and the Argonauts had drastically altered their perception of the peoples surrounding them. In the years after the Argonauts' arrival, Hippolyta led the Amazons on voyages to the outside world. They conquered parts of Asia Minor and Syria, leaving a trail of liberated women in their wake. Some even decided to join the Amazons, and soon their tribe grew into a small nation. Meanwhile, Hercules' fortune took a turn for the worse. After being tricked into killing his three children by the jealous goddess Hera, Hercules was commanded to perform twelve labors for King Eurystheus of Tiryns. The king sent Hercules to all corners of the earth on impossible missions, all to satisfy his own greed. For his ninth labor, Eurystheus ordered Hercules to bring back the golden girdle of the Amazon Hippolyta, Eurystheus had heard stories of the warrior queen's savagery and her gilded belt, a gift from Ares, that was said to make whoever wore it as strong as Hippolyta herself. The hero Theseus, son of Aegeus, king of Athens, and a small troop of men were sent to accompany Hercules on the dangerous journey. But because Hercules had an open invitation among the Amazons, Eurystheus had unknowingly sent his enslaved hero into the arms of old friends, 
The supposedly impossible task would be simple, or so Hercules thought. As Hercules, Theseus, and their men arrived at the main port of Aratios, a battle horn announced their arrival. Hercules noticed that Aratios seemed just as it was years before. The forests were just as green, and Ares' birds circled relentlessly. But as he heard the thundering of hooves in the distance, he realized he was wrong. The Amazons had proliferated. Hundreds of Amazons crested the horizon and descended upon Hercules. Their movements were chaotic. Warriors brandished their spears, while others crouched close to their steed. But together they were one churning entity, a living wave of horses and weaponry, glinting in the sun and growing larger with each passing moment. As they came closer, their movements became more unified, disciplined. Their thundering gallops faded to a trot, and Hercules suddenly felt the intensity of a thousand eyes trained on his small band of men. When the Amazons came to a halt, Hercules noticed it wasn't Hippolyta who led their charge. An Amazon perhaps more beautiful than Hippolyta, but just as proud, addressed him. This was Antiope, Hippolyta's middle sister. Name yourself, man and declare your intentions. But be wary of your words. My archers aim their bows at your men as I speak. I am Hercules, son of Zeus. My men and I do not come seeking bloodshed. I simply wish to speak with Queen Hippolyta. The Hercules I remember was a demigod among mortals who stood tall with a noble bearing. This isn't the man I see before me today. This struck Hercules deep. Antiope's words were true. Years before, he had been a mighty and honorable warrior, but the immense guilt he felt from his children's murder and the endless toil of King Eurystheus's labor had made him a shadow of the hero he once was. Tears filled his eyes as he spoke. Yes. Many years ago, my men and I came to your shores seeking shelter. Hippolyta extended her home to us in a gesture of friendship. It's a kindness I have hoped to repay ever since I left these shores. But alas, the fates have not been kind. I've returned to ask one last favor of her. Please, grant me counsel with your queen. If you are who you say you are, then you are permitted to come amongst the Amazons. Thank you. However, you must come alone. You may be a friend of Hippolyta, but these bearded creatures are unknown to us. My archers and I will remain with your men until you return. Hercules obliged, leaving Theseus and his men to be guarded by the fierce Antiope. Hercules walked toward the heart of the island, surrounded by women on horseback, they passed through lush forests, jewel-like pools, and rushing waterfalls. It wasn't long before they came upon a clearing. There, a grand tent adorned with animal skins sat guarded by a handful of armed warriors. Hercules approached the tent, 
but his mounted escorts remained outside. He would go in alone. As Hercules entered, his eyes immediately fell on the mighty Hippolyta, who stood as tall and proud as the day they had met years before. But the queen's youthful glow had been exchanged for an air of nobility. An iron crown graced her head, and a beautiful girdle of gold and iridescent glass glittered around the queen's waist, holding her sword. Suddenly, Hercules was reminded of the true purpose of his journey, and felt shame that he had come not to return Hippolyta's kindness, but to take even more. When they told me a son of Zeus had beached on our shore, I laughed. Zeus has many sons, I said. This tells me nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Over 50, I believe. And I'm sure he's at work on another as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew it. I knew it was you. Welcome back to Aratias, old friend. Hippolyta smiled at Hercules, and for a brief moment he felt lighter It was as if the hardships he had faced in the years since last leaving the Amazons were a vague and distant memory. But as their laughter faded, Hippolyta sensed the heaviness of Hercules' presence. He struggled to meet her eyes, casting his gaze to the ground. The once dignified hero seemed cowed, as if his spirit had broken under the weight of his troubles. Gently, Hippolyta urged Hercules to tell her everything that had happened to him. In the comfort of Hippolyta's tent, Hercules recounted the hardships he had faced in the previous years. He told her of Hera's jealous rage over Zeus's infidelity with Hercules' mother, a wrath that the goddess had directed at the bastard demigod for his entire life. Hippolyta listened patiently as he told her how Hera had tricked him into killing his only three children, a sin that had led him into a life of slavery under King Eurystheus's command as punishment. Hippolyta felt her heart break for her friend. It hurt her to see the once radiant hero now powerless to the cruelty of men and gods alike. How can I help you gain your freedom from this tyrant? I have leagues of fighters now. They are skilled riders and deft with a spear. I can charge the city of your captor and have him slaughtered. No, no. I cannot have your warriors fight my battles for me. This is mine to face alone. For the sake of my own redemption, I must complete each of King Eurystheus' labors. Then tell me how I can aid you in your next quest. Your girdle... My girdle? Yes. Eurystheus has commanded that I retrieve your girdle. He believes it possesses the power of Ares and is the source of your strength. (laughs) What a fool this king is. My girdle holds no more power than a stone holds wisdom. My strength is my own, not Ares. Hippolyta removed her girdle and extended it to Hercules. Here, take it. Are you sure? My dear friend, if this garish piece of metal will bring you closer to freedom, then I would give you thousands more if I could. For years, I have known no kindness. This gesture, it's... it's more profound than I have the words to say. 
But little did Hercules and Hippolyta know that as they met inside the tent, chaos had broken out among the Amazons. Hera, seeing an opportunity to indulge her jealous hatred for Hercules, had come to Aratios. She assumed the form of an Amazon warrior and spread a report among the tribe that Hercules had come to murder their queen for her girdle. As the message spread, the Amazons flew to arms and mounted their horses. They rode toward Hippolyta's tent and sounded their horns in alarm. As Hippolyta heard the deep echo of the battle horns, she stood alert, interrupting the tearful exchange and striding to the tent's entrance. But when she turned back to face Hercules, she saw his expression had changed from deep gratitude to something darker, betrayal. Hippolyta quickly realized that Hercules believed she had called her warriors to attack, to strike him down while he sat vulnerable in her tent and kill his men on shore. He began to shake with rage. The once cowed man drew himself to his full height, towering over the tall Amazon. But as she began to explain the misunderstanding, it was already too late. A dozen Amazons had entered Hippolyta's tent. Seeing their queen in distress and Hercules holding her girdle, the warriors lunged into an attack. Hercules attempted to dodge swords and spears, but soon he was caught up in the chaos of battle. The Amazons would not be content until they had his head. Though outnumbered, Hercules cut down the warrior women one by one. Because he wore the impenetrable coat of the Nemean lion, he was invulnerable to the Amazon's blows. Knowing this, Hippolyta joined the fight, hoping to stave off the battle-maddened Hercules while she urged her warriors to flee. Get out! He is immune to your swords! Leave before... While her last fighter fled the tent, Hercules had thrust his sword in a blind rage, plunging its blade into Hippolyta's stomach. <clears throat> Hippolyta looked down to where the sword had sunk into her belly. Hercules stood stunned, still gripping the hilt. Hippolyta lifted her gaze to Hercules. Her eyes were full of hurt rather than shock. As they held each other's gaze, time stood frozen for a small eternity. But as soon as the blood began to bloom from Hippolyta's wound, she sunk to her knees. Hercules rushed to her side. He knelt over the dying queen as harsh reality crashed into his awareness. His heart plummeted. What had he done? Hercules gathered Hippolyta into his arms and held her. As she gasped for breath, he sobbed softly, racked with grief and shame. Since they had met, he had taken and taken from Hippolyta, never giving anything in return. And now that he had taken her life, he would never have the chance. I've always known a man 
would be my end. But I never thought you would be that man. You deserve so much more. Anything but this. I've always wondered how being so tender can possess such brutality. <laughs> the tragedy of men. Hippolyta looked at her old friend and smiled. Then she cast her gaze at the heavens and faded. Hippolyta, second queen of the Amazons, was dead. Hercules narrowly escaped Eratios and the wrath of its Amazon warriors, and as he sailed from its shores, he said a silent goodbye to the lush and mysterious island. But as Hercules gazed out from the deck of his ship, another figure gazed back. On the shores of Eratios, a young warrior watched as her sister's murderers sailed away on the horizon. She seethed with bitter anger, fueled by the despair of her loss. She made a promise to the gods. The Amazons would invade the strongholds of Greece. Cities would crumble and men would be slaughtered. The Amazons would not be satisfied until their blood debt was paid in full. The reign of the next Amazon queen, Penthesilea, had begun. With Hippolyta's death, the era of the Amazons' friendship with men had come to a close. Her murder would spark a series of wars that would quite literally become battles of the sexes. The story of Hercules and Hippolyta gives us insight into what the ancient Greeks thought about camaraderie between men and women. They seemed to think that a relationship of mutual respect was an impossible dream. Perhaps that's what poets had hoped to warn their readers about with the ill-fated friendship between Hercules and Hippolyta. Even so, there's no denying that their story embodies something more poignant about the timeless tension between women and men, that even in the hearts of the fiercest heroes and the midst of the deepest conflicts, a desire for balance and harmony stems forth regardless. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with part two of the Amazons. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. 
Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Alex Garland. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Susanna Corrington, Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, Samantha Moore, Brett Schneider, and Dan Velasquez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.